going to re record this for people who aren't here. There are some who couldn't come who would love to be here in person. Um, so they're here in spirit. So as I've, I said if, uh, when arranging the talk, death like life from a Buddhist tradition, it's considered a journey. And it can be a good journey. And it, in fact, for experienced, advanced Buddhist practitioners, it's something that they have been training for and that they uh, step into with some kind of ease and grace. Um, there's, a, a, there's a lot of opportunity for awakening on that journey because when we die, the, the consciousness opens up in this rare and, and just unusual way. So today I'm going to explore some of those Buddhist approaches to end of life and the art and ceremonies that can be a celebration of life. You know, it will be experiential, so, you know, just I hope that you're ready to play a little bit. Okay, so there's His Holiness the Dalai Lama, who's the leader of Tibetan Buddhism. And um, my own practice is um, as Zen. I trained in Korea and the United States. But everyone respects the Dalai Lama, so here's what he says, you know, sometimes I have an excited feeling towards death because within my daily prayer there are references to the death process and the bardo process and the next life. You know, so sometimes I get excited, you know, whether I'll be able to use those practices fully at that moment. Such preparation allows us to become masters of our mind. You know, with this as preparation, it's much easier to face the future. And much better with that kind of preparation than just to sit and wait. It's better to make a preparation. And then if there's no life after death, he says it doesn't matter. You know, we're still <laughs> um, There's another um, teacher uh, in the Tibetan tradition, Shagyang Trumpa, who, who was known for a kind of crazy wisdom. The way that he put it is, when you need to go to the bathroom, it's too late to dig a latrine. <laughs> See, so, you know, it's, you know, why not prepare in advance? So some kind of core concepts uh, would be that death is certain and the time of death is uncertain. And that's true for all of us, every one of us. You know, my uh, teacher, Zen Master Sung San, would say there's two kinds of people. There's soon die and later die. And we think we know which category we are, but really we don't know. So, but we, we're here and we have this precious human life to awaken. You know, all the time th these people and things seem to exist independently. You know, they seem to be so solid. You know, that we have a whole story in our mind about what is happening to us or how it's always like this. <clears throat> it, it, and it's, it, it's not that. You know, when, when we have that um, kind of story of the world in our mind, it sets us up uh, like um, presenting a target for the arrow. There's that saying, you know, to um, a carpenter, everything looks like a nail. You know, so it, just in that way, if we have a, a story about how, you know, we like this and we don't like that, or <clears throat> this 
um, is proceeding just as I planned, or on the other hand, this isn't what I planned, and I'm like not happy about it. That happens all the time. And, and it's sort of like we have this, we're this whirlpool in the river of life, you know, and it's come together, um, you know, and then things shift and change. You know, the whirlpool can't decide, like, oh no, you know, like, I'm not going to change. You know, everything is always changing, and if we're able to flow with that and have equilibrium, in whatever circumstance, then we're on the path. You know, the truth is we're like these waves on the ocean of life. You know, so the one wave contains all the other waves. You know, we contain the whole cosmos. You know, if we look deeply, you know, like at a tree, we see the tree is not only a tree, right? The tree is the sunlight, right? It is the earth. It's the animals, the other plants, you know, the fungi underneath, um, the person who planted the tree. You know, all of that is part of what comes together in the tree. So as we're here, we're connected not only to our ancestors, you know, but to each and every other being. And as we realize that, it's kind of a relief because we don't need to worry so much about protecting this independent, separate self we begin to realize that our happiness is bound up together with everybody else's happiness. You know, so then um, it makes it easier to, uh, to work with uh, people and situations just as they are. And then when death comes and we realize this wave is returning to the ocean, it's not a disappointment for the wave because the wave is already the water of the ocean. It's a kind of recognition, it's a homecoming. So that's how um, in Buddhist tradition we speak about a death. It's a returning to that original luminosity, like the, the child of returning to the mother. If at that time, you know, we're comfortable returning to that open space, then, th th then death can be the great enlightenment. You know, if you know, we are dying and we react to that returning to the ocean with fear, you know, sort of clutching, um, uh, anger, then it's, um, you know, maybe not so smooth. So that's why we say that the mental state at the time of death is really important because everything just happens pretty quickly. Um, Okay, so in, in the ancient uh, Theravadan Buddhist tradition, people would meditate um, next to a corpse. And there's something about that that would drive home the reality of impermanence in a way that is just hard to get otherwise. You know, so when I was in high school, I worked as an emergency medical technician and one of the first calls I was on, it was um, a DOA. The person had passed away at breakfast, just at the breakfast table. And when the landlady found them, they, they were already cold. And so I saw that, and I said, yeah, it's like that. You know, this could, could this happen to me? Yes, of course it could. And so that was part of my own spiritual journey. Um, you know, in some other situations, there might be a CPR call, 
And unlike the way it is on TV, four out of five times, maybe, the CPR isn't going to do anything. And then after that time, someone has to go into the next room and tell the family, I'm sorry, there isn't anything else we can do. You know, so that gave me an opportunity for myself to see um, the reality of impermanence and make me um, look and say, well, it's important to use this life well. You know, and um, within uh, all of the Buddhist traditions, there are different practices for helping um, to work with that. In Japanese Buddhist tradition, um, there's the Jisei, or the death poem. So in um, all the Buddhist uh, sutras, from the ancient Indian ones through the Chinese, um, Vietnamese, uh, Sri Lankan, Cambodian, you know, Vietnamese, all of them, there's this phrase which is birth and death, you know, sort of like hyphenated, birth and death, or life and death. Um, the Japanese word for that is shoji. And it can mean the literal experience, literally being born and literally passing away. It can mean that time in between birth and death, you know, where we, here we are. Um, you know, what Zorba the Great called the full catastrophe. You know, where someone said, you know, Zorba, you know, do you have a family? He said, yes, I have a family. I have children, you know, wife, a household, the whole catastrophe. <laughs> and so, you know, we, it's all of that, that wildness. You know, it can also refer to the arising and passing of phenomena every moment, right? Every moment uh, we breathe in, and it's like a birth. And every moment we breathe out, and it's like death. You know, we fall asleep, and it's like death, and we wake up, and it's like birth. Um, from a Tibetan Buddhist perspective, even a sneeze is, uh, is really like that. We're already not the same person we were when we had breakfast today. You know, just as the leaves outside are always changing, so then also we are always changing, 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 but somehow we think we won't change. And that's the, what we w- in Buddhism we call avidya, or ignorance. <laughs> so, when we're able to experience something completely, you know, giving ourselves to it the way that a bonfire burns, leaving no trace, then there's no problem. We're really one with our life. Inside and outside become one. Uh, we and the universe become one. You know, so experiencing this moment of birth, this moment of life, this moment of dying, this moment of death, it's, it's about living it directly. You know, so when we touch into that, it's a little bit like T.S. Eliot said in the four quartets, um, you know, time past uh, and uh, time future are contained in the time present. You know, this one moment contains infinite time. You know, we step into a kind of sacred time. 
um, you know, in some sense, past and future are present because of causality. You know, if, if we want to understand the past, we look at the present moment because the past gave birth to the present. If we want to understand the future, we can look at the present moment because the present moment gives rise to the future. But at the, uh, on another sense, they don't exist. You know, we have all of these conditional tenses like if this, then that. You know, or when I get there. You know, but where is that when? So we would say at that, at that very moment of time, there's great solace and, and clarity in being wholeheartedly present to that. Right? It's not a matter of cutting off our taste for life, but being able to be with this. Like, yes, this is so. So Suzuki Roshi said, um, before we were born, we had no feeling. We were one with the universe. After we're separated by birth from the oneness, like the water falling from the waterfall is separated by the wind and the rocks, then we have feeling. There's difficulty because we have feeling. We attach to the feeling we have without knowing just how that is created when we don't realize we're one with the river, one with the universe, we have fear. But whether it's separated into drops or not, water is water. Life and death are the same thing. When we see that, we have no fear of death, no real difficulty. You know, when the water returns to its original oneness, it resumes its own nature. You know, how very glad the water must be to come back to the original river. If this is so, what feeling will we have when we die? I think we're just like the water in the dipper. We'll have perfect composure. Um, you know, right now we have some fear of death, but after we resume that original nature, there is nirvana. So that's why we say to attain nirvana is to pass away. So what he refers to there is that when people talk about the death of the Buddha or the death of a great teacher, it's referred to as that person entered nirvana, or that was their pari-nirvana, their you know, crossing over to nirvana. So um, he says, will you try to find some better expression for death? than, you know, to pass away, you know, perhaps to pass on, or to go on, or to join. When you find it, you'll have a new interpretation of your life. So, in that spirit, right, there's that practice of death poems. You know, to, to be able to, you know, if you have that composure, not only to be present to it, but to savor it. Like, look at this. You know, this is this perfect moment of, of, of shift and transition. And um, as Arujo said, only a man's years can teach him the art of a detachment and the ultimate departure. So then all of that, these beautiful poems appear. You know, empty-handed I entered the world, barefoot I leave it, my coming, my going, two simple happenings that got entangled. 
Like, isn't it funny? You know, or uh, Shang Yen wrote this poem of just uh, 10 years ago, right? Busy with nothing, growing old, within emptiness, weeping, laughing, but intrinsically there is no I. Life and death thus cast aside. So we're going to experiment with, you know, some of that poetry. There's some, there's some other ones that are really nice. Uh, moon in a barrel. You never know just when the bottom will fall out. Or this one, um, I cleansed the mirror of my heart. Now it reflects the moon. This one, I came into the world after Buddha. I leave the world before Moroku, which is the Buddha of the future. Between the Buddha of the beginning and the Buddha of the end, I am not born, I do not die. You know, so touching the ultimate, you know, then there is some peace. We're going to experiment with those poems a little bit later. Here's, here's another one that I, I kind of get a kick out of. Festival of Souls. Yesterday, I hosted them. Today, I am a guest. Like, you know, right now I'm doing ceremonies for those people who passed away, but, you know, then maybe tomorrow I visit them. You know, they return the favor. So we'll revisit that a little bit later. So when, um, in that place, you know, where people are entering into the passing, you know, it's good for them to have peace, to create a, a simple, relaxed environment. You know, ultimately, it's uh, better if people are awake and not, uh, not on too heavy painkillers, but obviously that's going to uh, have to be mediated with the situation. Um, very often, people will recite text, and there's a one very uh, commonly recited text, which is, of course, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, or sometimes translated as the Tibetan Book of Living and Dying. And that just has, it's like a, a lot of good teaching in it for navigating that in-between space. Um, even people who are in the Theravadan tradition will sometimes uh, use that a little bit, because here in America we're eclectic. Um, their chanting or some other kind of music that brings peace is very helpful. There's, um, there's ways of doing a kind of co-breathing, uh, breathing together, that can help a person to come into the place of letting go and deep relaxation. And there's poa practice, which is helping the consciousness to depart the body at the time of death. 
And so um, in terms of the preparations, we think about the four reminders. The four reminders are that basically life is, um, uh, death is certain and the time of death is uncertain. You know, we have this precious human body. We have this opportunity to wake up. You know, and so therefore, basically, um, you know, need to need to do it and treat those kind of wealth and comfort, you know, at, of life as as a little bit of a distraction. You know, we are more distracted in this modern generation than ever, and so like just be aware of that and say this is a distraction and this isn't kind of my uh, original job. So um, the Buddha said, of all meditations, the meditation on impermanence is supreme. Because it is really the, a great um, reminder to use the, the opportunities we have. Um, practicing in a noisy environment can actually be helpful. Because if you can meditate in a noisy environment without being distracted, then also when the consciousness opens up at the time of death and you know you might be a little bit taken aback then it, it's not going to be facing you so much um, also um, making the deliberate contact with pain or with discomfort it's human nature to try to avoid discomfort but what if we actually come to meet that you know what if we greet that as a friend um, you know, rather than shutting down at that moment, can we use that to wake up? So I, I'll tell a story from my own life. Um, I go to a Bastyr clinic uh, for, you know, health stuff. And I have, a, I don't know, aversion to like the blood draw business, probably like many people. And also a aversion to driving on the five freeway. <laughs> and so I combine that with also a 12-hour fast, which is necessary, uh, prior to the blood draw. And then that's three things which are not my favorite, right? Um, first fasting, then driving on the five, then having people, you know, do the blood draw. But I did it last week. I was like, okay, you know, we're good. Um, yeah, they're probably almost finished with it. Yesterday afternoon, I got a call from Bestier Clinic. They're like, uh, we have to tell you that we mishandled the sample, <laughs> and unfortunately, it's not viable, and we need you to come in again. So I'm thinking, okay, so well then maybe just at least not like first thing of the week. And so I'm like, well, how about like, I don't know, four o'clock on Monday? And they're like, well, you know, actually the blood needs time to freeze. It has to be completely frozen. So I said, okay, how's your freezer? You know, how, how long does it, could that take? And they're like, we have a very small freezer. So then I said, okay, I get it, you know. I'm turning this one over to the universe. It's, um, you know, not the, not the biggest issue, but it, I'm going to make my little contribution here and accept, you know, and flow. And what if every time that we get caught up in, like, difficulty or frustration, we use that as a moment to return to whatever our prayer is, our mantra, our, our means of spiritual connection? You know, then, you know, at the time of death, instead of, you know, entering that transition of consciousness with a, a colorful language, you know, in our mind, you know, we might be able to, you know, be, uh, like, okay, you know, somehow... Uh, 
I feel a presence, you, you know, I feel I can do this, you know, let's turn it over again, let's and see what happens. So what helps that, of course, is practice so that this is more than just a good idea. And I'm going to invite us um, to do a little bit of that, an exercise called co-breathing. And um, with this, you know, one person is simply breathing and the other person is helping that breather relax more deeply, make their exhale a little bit longer, right? As we pay attention to the out-breath and the out-breath deepens. As the out-breath deepens, the body relaxes. As the body relaxes, the mind relaxes. And I've done this with people who are passing, um, but sometimes people enter the process of active dying and um, they don't uh, complete right then. So I found myself in that unusual situation where uh, a, you know, a dying client was able to come back and say, you know, thank you for that. Um, you know, he was in hospice, you know, he died you know, a while later, but it was, it was nice to get some feedback. Um, it's a subtle intervention, but it does make a difference. So for this, um, you're going to partner, partner up, find somebody, somebody who's breathing. <laughs> you're going to sit near them so you can watch their breathing. Okay then. So we're going to be um, as the person, you know, the first the person A is just going to breathe. They don't have to do anything but breathe. The person B as that person is, is doing their out-breath, you are going to recite either a phrase that they give you. Some, for some people, maybe there's a, 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 you know, a short one-line prayer or a mantra you know, or some word you know, that brings them into a place of peace. Um, or you can just use the sound, ah. So as they're breathing out, you do ah, ah. And so that's actually going to help to create the shift in, in the breathing and to bring the person into equilibrium and peace. So you decide who's A and who's B. Okay, and so person, um, 
the person A who's breathing, let person B know what kind of word or phrase or sound you would like to receive. So that's clear. The breather can breathe any way that they like. You know, when you're dying, nobody's going to be telling you, <laughs> you got to breathe through the nose now. So we're not going to place any, any restriction. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And I'm going to time this. Only when they're breathing out. It's just helping the breathing out. Okay, any questions? We have our ducks in a row? Okay, gonna do? Go ahead. Uh, seven minutes. Seven minutes. She's A, so she breathes. Yeah, A, breathe. And then B does what? B repeats the sound ah, or another phrase on the out-breath. And that's helping the out-breath to become longer and slower. Well, we're going to, we're at the seven minutes, we're just working on person A. We're going to, I'll let you know when to switch. Okay, we're not supposed, we're not supposed to switch. We're stuck in the harness. We're stuck in the harness. Okay, okay. Change in the middle of the screen. Breathe a little closer. 